Welcome to Lead by Women Will, a Google podcast created to inspire and empower women as we rise in our careers. I'm your host, Loranda Martin-Evans. Today, my guest is Laura Busby, founder of Dyslexia Pros. Laura has been working with and advocating for students who have dyslexia since 2007 and is proud to say she is dyslexic herself. Helping students with dyslexia achieve their goals and feel good about themselves is Laura's passion and life's work. So she started her own business, Dyslexia Pros, which now has four centers and continues to grow. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me, Miranda. So, Laura, tell us about your business, and which is also your passion, I, I hear. So I'd love to understand, how did this all come to be for you? Well, it all started when I found out that I was dyslexic. School had always been harder for me than it was for my siblings or my friends. I was in honors classes and, you know, middle school and high school, and I did get accepted to college. But in college, I really reached a breaking point. I was studying eight hours a day. School was my life, and I still was not managing anything but, you know, like a C, a C average. And so I decided to figure out, you know, why this was happening. And when I was 21, I found out that I was dyslexic. And from there, I kind of dove in to learn everything about dyslexia and how dyslexic brains work because that was my brain and I really wanted to understand it and why all of these things were taking tests and writing papers. You know, it would take me like eight hours to write a four-page paper, which my friends could write in an hour or less. And I really wanted to understand all of these things. And while I was learning about dyslexia, I really discovered that there were not a whole lot of educators or people in general that knew about dyslexia or yeah. how to help it. Because it, it, for you not yeah. to discover that until age 21, clearly there's there's something not working there that that wasn't exactly. pointed out to you mm-hmm. sooner. Like, I had never heard that word in, in reference to me. There were times in my childhood where... You know, I would think that I was stupid or I would sit there and I go, I, I know I'm smart. I know I'm smart. I don't understand why I can't get this. Right. It's really unfortunate that there aren't, you know, more educators and more specialists in dyslexia because dyslexia affects 10 to 20 percent of the population. So it's not a low number. It's actually very, very common. So after I found out that I was dyslexic and I went in and discovered everything that I could, I decided that I was going to become an expert in dyslexia. So I went to every seminar. I went to every meeting that I could. I got trained in multiple different programs that were designed for people with dyslexia. I finished my bachelor's degree in at Arizona State University. And then later I got my master's degree from Arizona State University as well. So I went from really struggling in college and really thinking about possibly dropping out to graduating with my master's degree and maintaining a 4.0. Um, wow. So this journey of discovering how my brain worked and then going through all these remediation programs to you know, learn how to read and spell and write really well changed kind of my entire life and what I wanted to do as a career path. So from about 2007 to 2013, I was, you know, again, learning everything I possibly could. I got every piece of information that I could, all the education I could, and I was also tutoring dyslexic students in these programs. And so I just, I took that that time and 
really perfected my craft and perfected my knowledge. And I graduated with my master's degree in, in May 2013. And then in June 2013, I opened up the first Dyslexia Pro Center. I realized that I had spent all this time working kind of like as a solo practitioner. But then in order for me to help more people than just, you know, the limited amount of students that I could tutor during the day and during the weeks, I, I needed to expand and start training more people to fulfill my mission. So again, June 2013, I opened up the first Dyslexia Pro Center, and now we have four centers in Arizona, about 25 different tutors, and we're still growing. So I hope to this year open up my sixth center and just kind of keep growing from there so that we can reach as many students as possible. So this is this is incredible to me. There's a hole in the education system, clearly. There's a hole for a business model to help solve that. And it's your mission. You, I can feel your passion. How right. how do you, I mean, this is education. So do you go to the bank? Do you get an investor? How did you get it off the ground? No, I used all of my own money. Oh, wow. Um, wow. I didn't, yeah, I, again, during that time of, you know, like 2007, 2013, when I was a solo practitioner, I kept my overhead very, very low, like tutoring out of my house, tutoring out of their homes, libraries, things like that. And I saved a lot of money. And then I lived very, very frugally. So that, that first about year and a half of opening up the first Dyslexia Pro Center, I just, you know, did not really buy anything. I worked a ton and I put all the money that I was making back into the company so that we could keep expanding and keep training employees. I pay for all the training for my employees to have them go to seminars and classes because they need to have this, this knowledge base. And in order to do that, in order to have these incredible people, you know, work to fulfill this mission, I have to really put a lot of money back into the company. So I worked and the money that I, that I brought in through my particular tutoring is kind of what I lived off of. I try to keep our expenses as low as possible. Um, So things like, you know, managing the books, going to meetings, doing presentations, I just work a ton. Like, how did like but how did you even know how to do that, or did you just go to Google and like how do you balance a book, or, or like how did you figure it out? A lot of it was um, learned by fire, trial and error. Um, but what, before I found out that I was dyslexic, I was actually working for a dot com company, and I had worked my way up from an assistant to the manager of that company. Like I was managing this company when I was about nineteen. Um, And I learned a lot about like marketing and management in that position. And so I took a lot of that, you know, that knowledge that I had gained through that experience and applied it to my own business. But I've also had some very incredible people help me along the way. I hired good accountants and good attorneys. I tell people all the time, like the two best people that you can have on your side as a good accountant and a good attorney, especially if you, you know, don't know a lot of things and you're starting your own business for the first time. So I also did, I have done a ton of research. I would not even hesitate to say that I worked 80 hours a week minimum during that like first year and a half of getting my my business off the ground. And still, I, I still work a ton and I'm still learning. So yeah, it was, it's all about, you know, if, if you have a problem and you need to solve it, then I figure out what I need to do, whether that's I do my own research or I consult with somebody who, who knows what they're doing and can advise me. So you, you just mentioned 
how you just poured everything into it and you're sort of working nonstop. And it's clearly, it's more than a business for you. It really is your passion. So how, right. how do you, do you have any sense of balance? Like, do you have any sense of time when you can recharge or is it just full on all the time? You know what, for that, again, that first year, it was basically full on all the time. But after that, where I felt like in order for me to sustain this company, I have to have, you know, that recharge time. Mm -hmm. So I like to work out. I usually work out five hours a week. um, And that's, that's really the time for me Mm -hmm. where I can feel like I'm strengthening my body. I mean, that's a big thing for me. So I, I do work out, you know, I, I, I delegate, I hire employees that I trust and I think are capable. And I also provide trainings for them so that they can become even more capable in their positions. And so I, you know, delegate to my, whether it's my assistant or other tutors in the office or, or, you know, my executive directors at the centers. And I even have some really good employees that um, when I don't delegate enough, they say, Laura, don't do that. That's my job. I can do it. Um, they kind of put their foot down a little bit and say, I got this. You go, you know, take a nap for, you know, 30 minutes or something. I try to take time for myself and just relax. You know, I've got two wonderful dogs that I love walking just around my neighborhood and kind of being outside and feeling their love and, and presence. So I do try to carve out some time, whether it's at night, I turn off my phone, put it on do not disturb at about, you know, 9 p.m. and just try to unwind and relax. But I think the biggest thing, especially in the last couple of years, is, is that delegating, really understanding that I trust these employees and that not only for myself, that like I need time where I'm not working so that I can have the mental capacity to figure out the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but also for for them, they need these opportunities in order to grow and learn. And the more they know, then the better our students are served, um, the better our, our community is served. And if I don't give them those opportunities to be challenged to perform, then, you know, how are they ever going to do that? Yeah. And it must be really tough, though, because it's it's so much more than a business for you. Like it, it really feels it, like your life's work is is this. It is business you've yes, created. So it must be right. incredibly difficult mm-hmm. to hire those roles. I mean, how do you even begin to find the right people? Um, it's hard. It's something where you know we'll get we'll get resumes in and such, and I'll ask them for a cover letter of specifically why do you want to work with dyslexic students, and that cover letter has to pretty much bleed the passion mm-hmm. for, you know, helping dyslexic students. It can't just be for education. It has to be for this particular population. And so they go through, a you know, a three-step interview process where I, I first meet with them or my executive directors do. And these potential tutors, they really have to show that, you know, they, they are dedicated to this mission. And then you know, they have to show that they're competent um, and then that they also mesh with our current staff. We don't have any type of drama or inner office quarrels or, or things like that because everybody is working for this this mission that everyone has this deep desire to fulfill. I have people who, 
are, you know, tutors who are dyslexic themselves. Mm-hmm. I, like me, mm-hmm. um, I have tutors who, you know, their child or their husband or their mother, people that, that they are closely connected to that are dyslexic and they feel, you know, not just this, you know, I want to help, but I need to help. So that's the number one thing that I look for. And that has never failed me. Not once. Have you found, um, I'm interested to ask this question because, you know, on the podcast, we deal with a lot of women who are working in tech and there's been a bit of bias Mm -hmm. towards a more male dominated industry, but you're in education. So have you found, you know, you're a woman who owns her own company. Are most of your staff, the people who apply, are they mostly female? Do you have male employees or is this a bias that's not true and Um, it's equally split? How have you found the male female dynamic in education? It is definitely female dominated. I mean, it is. It's very, very female dominated, but I do have two um, male employees and I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, most of, most of the applicants we get are female. Very few are male. So was, what happened when you hired your first male employee? What was that like? Well, he was actually a, um, a previous student. He was, um, you know, a, an adult student of ours who came in because he wanted tutoring. He'd gotten some tutoring when he was younger. And as he was going through this program and we were teaching him, he really felt this confidence of, I can tackle things. I can, I can accomplish more than what people have just said I could accomplish because I had limited skills. Like he was really gaining these skills. And so he came to me and he goes, Laura, I, I, I want to do what you do. You know, I have this this passion to help other people like myself and I've gained all these skills from your tutoring and now I want to pay that forward. Um, and so I was really excited to, to hire him, um, but I did get a little bit of backlash from some other associates of, oh, well, you know, he's male. We have to, we have to be careful because he's working with, with children. And oh, I immediately, so I was sad. really upset by that. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I immediately called it out, you know, as sexism. So that's just that's, that's sexism. And I said, if, if we don't trust him, then why are we hiring him? Mm-hmm. It's we hire people that we trust and we do trust him. So why is this a concern? And that's definitely not something that's, you know, defined by, by gender. Trust isn't specific to females or, or males. It's, specific to a person. So the unfortunate thing is that this male employee, he's very aware of how males are viewed in the education field. And so he himself has gone above and beyond to be transparent. We automatically, all of our doors in our centers to our shooting rooms, they have windows on them. Um, we have an open door policy with our parents that they can sit in on any session so we are, as a company, very transparent in, you know, everything that we're doing. But this this male employee in particular has gone as far as getting himself, like, a glass desk that he works at with wow. the students so that he, it's in no way could anybody think that he was hiding anything. Right. And that makes me really, really sad that he has to be aware of that because we have this gender stereotype that I don't really think is is it's completely unfounded. Well, you know? and certainly dys- um, dyslexia must affect men and women equally. So, I mean, I'm sure does, you, you yeah. probably want more parity and, you know, with men and women represented there to help these kids. I do. I, I love the fact that we have our two male employees and I would love even more. We just, they're not applying. And I think that's the thing 
around education. That's not just specific to my company. Right. I mean, that's just the field of education. Education in itself is a pretty underpaid field. I feel like that, you know, women tend to be a little bit more, let's say, understanding of being underpaid because mm-hmm. it's so common, you know, and it's so widespread that they would be underpaid. And um, more men, uh, they just don't accept that. You know, men just, for some reason, they just don't accept it. So have you seen a difference in the way the men champion for themselves at work? Like, do you, Or is it, you know, when they come to you for a raise or whatever, is there a difference in mentality, do you think? Well, at my, at my company, our pay is pretty transparent. So it's one of those things of, okay, this position, you know, pays this and this position pays this. Um, type of thing. So I don't get really too much of when do I get a raise. It's more of I want to take the next step. I want this promotion, right? I want mm-hmm. to go into a leadership role. Mm-hmm. And I have found that the way that my male versus female employees go about asking for that um, is different. My my male employees are more aggressive in that. And my female employees, while some of them will still ask, they'll ask for those things. It is in more of a passive way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to, in those particular situations, especially with my female employees, I try to say, okay, thank you for telling me what you want. Or if they aren't very clear about it, you know, then I ask them, okay, tell me what you want. Um, I want them to be very explicit um, and very clear. And I also think that I see this difference in, you know, my male employees are looking further into the future than I think some of my female employees are. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, you know, I can't, I can't lump them all. Yeah, I can't lump them all together um, because, you know, that's not the case. But, you know, I do see that my, my male employee, um, one in particular, is like, look, I want this five years in the future or I, I'm planning for my family's future and I, I need to know what's happening. And my female employees don't really ask that question too often. And I wish that they would. So I've gone and done some things in my company that I think are kind of unique where I set up healthcare and a healthcare plan for all of my employees to participate in because some of them didn't even have healthcare. And also a retirement savings plan for for everybody. Everybody can participate in it. And there's a company match because I feel like you need to be looking for that future. What are you going to be doing 10 years, 30 years down the road? So I, I try to promote that as, look, if you want something, then be explicit to me. I'm not going to be offended, right? So when we look at, um, you know, there's that expression, the pink ghetto, the things like education, mm-hmm. childcare, nursing. Do you think that if we had mm-hmm. more gender parity, you know, where, where men and women are championing for the same things equally that we might might see some progress in the, in the things like the teacher strikes and more equal pay for the work mm-hmm. that they're doing? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think so. I definitely like to think so because I have experienced it where, you know, male employees versus female employees, the males are just a bit more aggressive. So speaking of change, one of the things you've been known to say is if you don't like the situation you're in, change it. And I'd love to talk about that because I think that's fantastic. How have you applied that mentality to uh, to your business? Several different ways. 
there's been a lot of times in my business where I've had to take a step back from a situation that got really frustrating and look at it from a solution standpoint. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all about finding solutions. Complaining with no problem solving is just completely futile. There's no point to it. Yep. But in my particular experience, you know, when I first started out with the Sexy Pros, I was associating with some people and it became very apparent early on that these associations, you know, these partnerships weren't going to be beneficial to the company and also for, you know, my life personally. And instead of feeling stuck and feeling like I couldn't do anything to control the situation, I took a step back and I thought about the situation. I, you know, talked to some people about what I could do and I made the plan and I came up with some solutions to the problem. And some of them were really hard to deal with, difficult, especially in partnerships and some associations to kind of several several ways. And um, some of them, you know, took some legal battles and they were, you know, very emotional um, for, for myself. But in the end, what the situation was before to what the situation was after was a phenomenal difference. So I didn't like the situation before. I knew it wasn't beneficial to my company or the, our mission, whatever we were trying to do, and then I needed to change it. And so I did. Um, and this is a mentality that I have throughout my my entire life. If you don't like the situation that you're in, you know, whether it's like your job, um, you don't like this, you know, school assignment that you have to do, or you're having issues with, you know, your friends or whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you don't like the situation, stop complaining about it and start finding solutions, problem solve. And I try to teach this mentality to my students um, that I work with. You know, if they're having a hard time with a teacher or a homework assignment or a project that's really difficult, I ask them, so what are you going to do to change the situation? We sit there and we we brainstorm some ideas and then we pick the best one and we try it. This could be going and talking to the teacher and self-advocating for yourself. Hey, I need extra two days for this project, or I really need some more instruction. I'm not understanding, you know, this assignment. It could be, you know, something as drastic as changing your job or, you know, for my students, changing schools altogether. Mm -hmm. But we start with writing down the problem, writing down some solutions, and then picking the best one and and going from there. So self-empowerment is all part of our mission at Dyslexia Pros, you know, it's, we are here to educate and empower the dyslexic student and their families. And through that empowerment is problem solving. You know, you have to know who you are and what you want and what you're capable of, and then go after it. And figuring out how to go after that is unique to every single person. And that's one of the reasons why I like to say, okay, let's write down, you know, at least five solutions or, you know, three solutions or six solutions or whatever um, of different things that we could do in order to change this situation. Now let's pick one and try it. Go for it. You know, this. it's also very interesting that you say you you keep saying you have to write it down because I think there's one thing, you know, we go – we go have a drink after work with our friends and we complain about things and maybe you even spitball a couple solutions mm-hmm. on how to change it. But I think you've really nailed it. There's something about the act of physically writing it down and looking at the solutions and being accountable to that pen to paper that I think is very powerful. Yeah, I do too. There's actually a lot of research about writing writing it down, note taking and your ability to remember. So 
there's something more neurological with that, but I think it's also emotional as well as, yeah, you're, you're held accountable. You, you have this piece of paper that you wrote these solutions down on and now you're going to, now you're going to execute it. Yep. Let's go. Let's do this. Yeah. So. So if you don't like the situation you're in, change it. What are you going to do about it? Change it. Change it. Why stay in it? Don't Mm -hmm. stay there. Like if if you want that, if you want to start that new business, if you want out of a bad relationship, if you want to walk into the boss or become the boss and get that raise, what are you going to do about it? Write it down. I think that's a really powerful mantra to um, to hang your head on. I would love to, mm-hmm. and Laura, I would love to understand your mission. You mentioned a couple times your, your company mission with uh, Dyslexia Pros. Can you share with us what that is? So like our, our concise mission statement is to educate and empower the dyslexic student and their families. So our goal is not only to educate them through academics, reading, writing, spelling, math, but also to empower them, to have them understand this is how my brain works. This is how I learn. And this is what I'm capable of doing. And then also their families as well, because a lot of um, parents find out that their child is dyslexic and they don't know what to do. They have, they have no idea what that word means. They have no direction. And so we really give them empowerment. Um, we host a lot of parent support groups where we talk about the use of organization in the home and, you know, ways to talk to your child, ways to advocate for your child at school, a bunch of different topics that really help parents feel like they can be in control of this whirlwind of information and kind of chaos that that comes when you first find out that your child is dyslexic. So it's not just about education. It's also about knowing who you are and what you're capable of doing and then putting everything into action. Well, Laura, I just I just would really like to thank you so much today for being a part of Women Will, but also thank you for the work that you're doing and for turning your passion into this incredible business that um, is really doing so much for these kids in the community. So thank you, Laura. We really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Miranda. It was great. For our listeners, thanks for joining us today. And remember, knowledge is power. So share these podcasts with your friends and colleagues. And find past episodes of Women Will on the Google Events page, the Google Play Music Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep the conversation going on Twitter. Hashtag Lead by Women Will. I'm at Loranda. And now, for all of us, time to go smash some ceilings. 